Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller, Regional Master Instructor, with my great dear friend here, fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. How are you doing today, Wendy? I'm great, Marty. How are you? Awesome. I always look forward to spending this 45 minutes or so with you in our NESM family. And today's topic is going to be a part two. Last week, we did a part one. So if this is new to you, you didn't catch part one. Last week, we went over deconstructing a squat. This week, part two, but part, and we're going to do part three next week. This week, as you can see here, common flaws and squat variations. So Wendy, if you, if you want to maybe do a quick, you know, 20, 30 second recap of what we talked about last week and where we're heading this week. Absolutely. So last week, you know, we were looking at the squat and we were thinking, of course, about the assessments. So, you know, being able to assess and see someone if they have an excessive forward lean or an anterior pelvic tilt or even a posterior pelvic tilt, those are common um, and very, I should say common, common impairments that we see. And we wanted to give you guys some key exercises to help build um, a program to be able to provide, you know, areas that you can foam roll and stretch, and then also um, some ideas of muscles to activate in order to eliminate some of those compensations for better movement. And, um, you know, we talked about, obviously, and we're going to recap it again today, a little bit about the anatomy and also to, you know, the different variations. And that actually kind of brings us into today's topic. And when we talk about common flaws, and the different variations. I really want to stress that we're not saying that the exercises that we're going to discuss today are bad squats. We were just saying, hey, these are common squats that you're going to see in the gym. These are common squats you're probably programming with your clients. However, there are certain things you want to keep in mind. And if you see a, a compensation, maybe ways to regress it. Um, so, so again, this isn't a, we're knocking any of the squat variations we're going to talk about, but it's more just to bring to the forefront some things to consider when you're doing some of these specific variations. Awesome. And, and what I really <clears throat> think that is so important to this three-part series is squatting is such a, it is one of the seven fundamental movement patterns, but it really should be a part of everybody's programming. And, you know, I remember a conversation I had one time with an orthopedic surgeon who was like, I don't know why you're having so many people do squats, you know, and I was like, all right, come, let's go over here and have a seat. And I got him up and I said, no, nah, it's a little loud over here. Let's go over here and have a seat. And he was like, why, why do we keep moving around? I said, doc, you squatted each time. And I went through why we squat and that not every squat is going to be a loaded squat with somebody's spine under spinal compression with load. So sometimes I think when you say squat to somebody, they think it's a dangerous exercise. We all need to squat as well as we can squat. And you'll see, and we'll talk about it between last week, this week, and next week. Not every squat has to be a loaded squat for strength, but we need to be able to clean up that movement pattern. And then where we go within the model, we talked about range of motion last week. We'll talk about it again, I'm sure this week, and we'll even talk about it again next week. But we really want people to understand how to break down the squat, how to improve it, and then how to program for it because it is so essential from a fitness and or just activities of daily living. It is that important. 
great points. And, you know, you get in and out of your car, you have to get an up, up and down off the toilet. So yes, they are very important, important movement patterns. And, and to your point, you know, when we're talking about squats, we are not talking about, like Marty just said, a loaded barbell back squat. We're just yeah. talking about just getting the correct movement. And, you know, if we go to um, our intro slide, you're going to see, I mean, these are going to be the key points that we're going to talk about today. I mean, we're, we're going to do a, a quick anatomy recap. Again, there are multiple muscles that have to work within a squat. We're just going to talk mainly prime movers. And then again, just always have in the back of your mind, who is ready to do a squat. And remember, we do an overhead squat assessment. And so you're going to be able to know right off the bat, how does your client squat? Do they understand how to do a squat because some people have never learned the mechanics of a squat they don't understand it and so it may not be that that they can't do it they just don't know how to do it correctly and then what are some advantages and disadvantages because again someone coming out of surgery may not be able to squat for a certain amount of time based on the surgery that they had and of course we're going to again talk about some form and technique fundamentals and then once we get into the variations, I think it may be an aha moment like, oh, you know what? I don't do these squats. I'm going to start incorporating them because they're very good to do. However, we are also going to talk about the common compensations with some of the squat patterns we are going to discuss. Absolutely. So as we move forward, what we're going to do is let's you know go through these bullet points and you know kind of take it one by one. So, of course, the recap, you know, assessments. Every single time you, you know, you talk to Wendy, myself and all the other instructors or when we interact with you on the Facebook page, we always go, what, what did the assessment say? Right. Because if we're not assessing, we're guessing. So we've got to start with the assessment because that'll tell us, you know, how to fix these, but also why you're fixing those. We're going to talk about the squat today, but what squat alternative might be best for that person until they're ready to maybe do some of the more advanced versions. And you'll see that as we go through. So we have to go back to those key bullet points. And as you'll see here on the slide, first and foremost, we start from the ground up, feet turning out. Commonly, you'll see here, you see the image off to the right. We're not even talking about his chin placement right here, excessive forward lean. You see the line between his outer ankle, the tibia and the fibula through the spine, those would merge. That's an excessive forward lean. So if you loaded that pattern, where do we think the stress will go? It's going to go to the low back. You're not going to be activating the muscles in the right sequencing and patterning that we would want. Anterior pelvic tilt, you'll see that in the top picture in the center. If I squat down and have that anterior pelvic tilt, I know my spine's not neutral, which means there has to be more strain and shear forces into the lumbar spine. It's not what we're trying to do. Then also with that anterior tilt, how am I going to move out of the squat? I'm going to use muscles that aren't designed to be the prime movers. On the flip side, you see the posterior tilt, that pelvis coming underneath. A lot of people, you know, that is their normal position. So once again, they're not in their ideal length tension relationships to handle load or to move well. And then also we've got to look at the upper body when we squat. You can see the head position here on the top right, but then also that rounded shoulders. If my shoulders are in that flexed, rounded, kyphotic position, I don't have the spinal integrity and I'm not activating my core. So these are just, you know, the things that you're going to see that we have to address, but that doesn't mean you could have a client with all of these show up tomorrow. Well, he wouldn't have, or he, she wouldn't have an anterior and posterior pelvic tilt potentially, unless we, we're not going to get into that when it changes right here, right now, but you could still give this person a squat tomorrow. 
and Wendy and I will talk about some of those variations when we do the program design. So don't think that if you see this, well, they have to only be doing sideline hip abduction. No, we would be able to squat with that person with all those compensations day one. Well, Marty, there was a good question that came in too, because now that we're talking about assessments and before we get into some of the variations, um, Danny had a question. Is it normal to have hip pain when squatting? So the question, <laughs> good question. <laughs> Is it normal? Unfortunately, more than you would want. Is it what we're looking for, striving for, or accept? Absolutely not. So now let's let's talk about pain real quick. We have to know our scope of practice. If somebody says this doesn't feel right, if I make a quick adjustment, check their form and technique, or go back and say, you know what, we didn't stretch this muscle out, or I didn't foam roll that muscle, and I change the exercise and go to regression, the pain immediately goes away. I'm cool with that. Or it might have been just, it didn't feel right. But if it's like, now every single time I do this, it hurts. We shut it down, we stop, and then we have to reevaluate the process. Is this person cleared? Uh, did I move to a phase of training that they're not ready for? Did they do their proper warm up before we got into that part of the workout? Is there something I missed? So no, it it's not acceptable. Is it normal that people have pain when they squat, especially if they go right to a strength phase? It, it wouldn't shock me if there was a larger percentage than we would like, because most people are going to move like the three people you see here. And then only imagine loading that with the bar biomechanically, you're begging for a problem. It's just, when is it going to show up? It's not if. Yeah. I think, and I mean, to piggyback off of that, as Marty said, the warm up is going to be extremely important, but that brings us back to this specific slide of why the assessments are also important. Because again, if somebody does have an anterior pelvic tilt and you really didn't, you know, lengthen the hip flexors, you didn't activate the glutes and the glutes and the quads being some of the prime movers when you're doing a squat, then it may be pinching or there may be something that, you know, just needs to be, like Marty said, been put back into a neutral position before going into this particular movement. But if the pain is, is there, again, we're not there to work on pain, but if it's discomfort and it's something that we think is muscular, then we can just look on the corrective exercise part of the game by looking at the assessment and really trying to, you know, take it, you know, step by step to see, are you truly working the right muscles the right way? So. So yeah, sure. great question. Cool. All right, so let's go to the next slide and look at the the prime movers here. And um, I know this was uh, this was a big one in part one. So again, if you guys haven't watched part one, this would be a, a very good time to go back and do after this one. But the prime movers of a squat that we're talking about specifically are going to be the glute max, the quad complex, as well as the soleus. And Marty, just as a recap, because I know we got this a lot, so I'm just going to go ahead and ask you, when we were talking about the soleus and really talking about the calf complex, people had a really hard time understanding how the calves can be a, a kind of a prime mover or play such an important role of a squat. So do you mind just quickly, because I know we've got a lot to cover today, just to give sure. a two-second recap. Yeah, so I, I went into more detail last week. So just a quick recap here is when we look at a squat, as we go down in the squat, that's triple flexion. My hip is flexing, my knee is flexing, and my ankle is flexing. Okay, it's a closed chain, which means my foot is in contact with the ground. Open chain is if my foot was off the edge of a table and I'm moving it like I would be my hand. So we all know what dorsiflexion looks like. As I'm coming out of the squat, my glutes are active, pulling me into hip extension. My quads are active, pulling me into knee extension. And then my 
soleus is helping me from the bottom move from a dorsiflex position to a more relative plantar flex position. So that's why it is considered a prime mover as you go through a squat. Nicely put. <laughs> Keep right. it simple. I know. I love it. I love it. So that was a very quick, short answer. I love it. So, all right, if we move on, because again, I know that we, we touched on that so much last week and we think about, you know, kind of where we're, where we're headed here. Um, this is the, one of the variations that we wanted to start with and box squats. And yeah. oftentimes when people perform box squats, now, again, we're not saying don't do them. And please understand everyone we're going to cover. We're not saying do not do. We just want to make sure that we are explaining common flaws that we see sometimes when these are performed. And mm -hmm. it would be that the feet externally rotate and to what Marty just spoke about having proper length tension relationship in the calf complex and proper amount of range of motion in the ankle complex is going to be important when you're squatting because if the lateral gastroc or the short head of the bicep femoris is overactive the feet will externally rotate and so again that's why on the prep side of the game so when you're foam rolling and stretching you want to make sure that you're identifying specific muscles so therefore this compensation isn't happening Knees going out or going in, again, think about the five kinetic chain checkpoints because if the knees are caving in, you're using more adductor and adductor magnus, which can then pull the hips out of alignment. If the, the legs are going too far out, again, you've got to think of what's happening with the piriformis or the outer hips, um, rounded or arched back. I mean, you look at these, these um, pictures and this is some commonly seen people doing a box squat and it's main, they're not maintaining neutral position of their spine. And I know that we hound the five kinetic chain checkpoints so much, but it's because we know that if you're actually in the right um, five, five kinetic chain checkpoints that the right muscles are firing at the right time and the right plane of motion. So if they're rounded in the back, of course, you're going to have a disengaged core. Remember the core and the, the focus of that, especially when we're talking about, um, a weak core is that we need to focus on intervertebral stability there. So remember, those are the little muscles that protect each vertebrae. So if they don't have their core engaged the right way and they round their back or they arch their back, then it's going to rely on stabilizers or other muscles that should not be considered a prime mover. And so their synergists are doing more work than they were hired to do at this point. And the same thing, rounded shoulders. Is it because they're going too far down and they're trying to keep their balance? A forward head, we want to try to cue out of those. And we did spend time last week really talking about when you look upward, what can happen to the pelvis. And so remember, there's the pelvo-ocular reflex that as you look up, your hips will adjust and put you in more of an anterior pelvic tilt. And so therefore, we wanna make sure that the eyes stay in line with the chest and that's one of the reasons why we say really look at the head alignment as well, because it does play an important role, especially when you're squatting. Yep. And I think as we go through, you're going to see a lot of these again. So we won't have to go through them in length every single exercise. But the one thing I want to talk about now is the exercise. I'm not against box squats if all those kinetic chain checkpoints are in order. But what I am totally against is I would never, and I have used a box squat variation. I call it a touch and go. A lot of people need a cue to sit back and understand where to go, the depth. I am totally okay with it as a tactile cue. I will never have someone sit to a complete rest because 
almost always the core totally disengages. So I use it. This is me. I'm not speaking for NASM. What I'm saying is if I'm going to use it, I use it as a aid to where they can learn how to reach back and let those hips come back as long as their kinetic chain checkpoints are in order. And then I have them touch and go. I do not let them come to that complete rest because more than not, they're going to get that uh, complete uh, disengagement of the core. And I've had some people say, well, what about if you want to work the, the bottom position? I'd rather them still do it unloaded as, as a isometric. So those are how I would work around why people tend to use a box squat. And we had a great question come in and Marty, I'll go ahead and shoot this your way, but um, which is a cute, cute name, piece of life with Pat. Um, how do you uh -huh. strengthen improved knees for squats to prevent strain and build endurance for squats? Okay. So well, let's say we did the assessment. Let's say they, they've gone through some type of corrective or stabilization training and we're moving in the right direction. And I say this jokingly, but the knee is kind of what we call a stupid joint. There's not many muscles that start and stop at the knee. Most things that happen at the knee are controlled by the muscles from the hip that come down and insert past the knee or the foot and ankle that come up and insert above the knee or restrictions in a very mobile ankle and a restriction in a very mobile hip. And those joints now become too stable and then all of a sudden the knee has to do too much. So I'm not worried about strengthening the knee per se because the knee is a joint. What I'm looking to do is improve proper human movement to where the knee starts to do what it's supposed to do, but you also have to address the foot and ankle and the hip. If they're doing what they need to do and you went through correctives and stability and balance and core stabilization, the knee is going to all of a sudden magically start doing what it needs to do. When the knee starts to do what it is designed to do, all of a sudden there's not that knee pain like people have had in the past. Now, if the knee pain has gotten to the point where there's arthritis and they have to go to you know, therapy, et cetera, but that's back to what we are talking about with the hip pain. But you'd be stunned how quickly people just feel better and now they're, they can squat. But again, we'd squat them in a stabilization phase first for four, six, eight weeks potentially before we'd even consider doing a strength phase. So that's why I always say they have to earn the right to get to the next phase. But if you don't improve their movement and then dial in their movement on every single repetition, this is where sometimes people are like, oh, my knees always bother me. So Well, and, and just to piggyback off that, you know, again, if you're looking at them from a lateral view, do they have parallel lines? And yep. oftentimes if people are having, quote, knee pain, it's because their knee cap, if you're looking at it in the mirror, is not in line with the second and third toe, that it's either too far past, which means they're putting a lot of anterior stress on the, the, the top, like front of the knee, or, you know, there may be some uh, medial movement that's causing some pain, if you will. So really trying to focus on proper alignment and get the right muscles firing, to Marty's point, that's only going to help each and every, um, every joint of the body. But with those parallel lines, having that equal weight distribution takes the pressure off of the knee and puts it back into the ankle and hip as well. That should be um, you know, playing nicely together and not putting so much stress on one joint versus all three. Perfectly said. All right. Well, let's go into the next one. So the pistol squat. So I touched on this one last week and, you know, people often say, oh, you know, I was at the gym and I was doing pistol squats. And often I'll say, well, were you doing that for fun? Was it a challenge to see if you could do it? Or is that truly part of your training? 
And, you know, if you're going to incorporate a pistol squat, and if you look at this gentleman in the picture, it's really important to think if you're going down that low, you need to have at least 15 to 20 degrees of dorsiflexion, which is ideal range of motion in the ankle. And because the feet often turn out, that is a very common compensation. Usually people are restricted in that particular joint. So therefore they have to have more of an excessive forward lean just to do a regular squat, not just a pistol squat. Then if you think you're going past a chair level, then at the very end of a squat, you're probably gonna to have to posteriorly pelvic tilt because you're going so low that the body is going to have to compensate to get you back up. And then you have to have really good flexibility and strength in your hip flexors and in your hamstrings in order to hold your leg out but it, usually to keep your balance, people have to lean forward and they lean forward with a rounded back. And so when you're doing a pistol squat, if you can maintain the five kinetic chain checkpoints, that would be fantastic. However, remember flexibility, motor control and depth are going to play an extreme, you know, an extremely important component of executing this correctly. And I'll tell you, if you've never done a pistol squat, they're extremely challenging for people that are in phenomenal shape with ideal range of motion everywhere because the rounded back and the forward lane just for balance. Couldn't agree more. And it's one of those things where if it's something you've always aspired to do, you know, we all have played sports. We don't do the sport because it's necessarily good for us. We do it because we enjoy it. Just understand that biomechanically, you cannot under any circumstance keep your five kinetic chain checkpoints in order. It just anatomically impossible so remember the more you do those the more you're training your body to learn how to move this way versus the ideal way so we have to balance that out at some point yes and, and you know i've i've heard people say well i do them on a trx well if you're doing them on a trx you're probably leaning back a little bit and you've got something to help you keep your balance so you're probably going to minimize these compensations I personally do not do these with my clients because I know they don't have the flexibility or strength to maintain the proper alignment. However, again, risk versus benefit, as we've talked about multiple times, what's the ideal, what's the purpose? Is it just to say you can do one, all the power to you? Um, but, you know, and there was another question that came up from David and it was, if a knee is bone on bone and looking at surgery in the next six months, is it too late for corrective exercise or any of these squat variations? Um, I, Marty, do you want to take this one? Sure. Without knowing the exacts, I'm going to say 50, 50. And what I mean by that, <laughs> if somebody is saying, listen, I don't need to run ever again. I just want to be able to walk up a flight of stairs. I want to be able to get to the gym and get on an elliptical trainer or a recumbent bike. One never knows. Right. But again, remember that is outside potentially the scope of practice for a personal trainer. Not always. However, if somebody is bone on bone and every single exercise bothers them, even straight leg raises, hip abduction, bridges, yeah, they, they might be to the point where there's just been too much damage. But have I seen people be able to, if they're willing to have a more modified life? Yeah. Or at least put surgery off for a period of time. But if they want to be an active person and they're bone on bone and they want to get back and play golf or some level of tennis and things like that. It, it may be hard. I'm not going to say impossible, but worst case, if you do a very well thought out uh, exercise program for those six months, they're going to be better off going into that surgery and then coming out of that surgery than if they do nothing for those six months. 
And I'm going to have to piggyback with Marty. I mean, working in a physical therapy clinic for a very long time, we would really try to get the muscles that protect the knee joint as strong as possible, because, you know, you've got to think that, that these muscles, the stronger you get, the easier your rehab may be long term. However, to Marty's point, too, if there's pain, if there's a decrease of range of motion because of the fact that it's bone on bone and there's restriction, then obviously doing something else other than a squat to get the quad and gluten stuff to activate, you should probably go that route. Some great questions though. I know, right? All right, so let's move on to the next one. So when we're thinking about back squats, so, <laughs> so we actually did a, I thought a super fun webinar with some of my colleagues and Marty chose the back squat of an exercise that he thought was overrated and gave very, very good justification as to why. And our panel agreed. So, Marty, do you want to talk about the back squats and sure. um, and why you think that? Yeah, I mean, the common flaws are there. I don't I don't need to cover those in great depth because they're going to be the same that you saw in other compensations. The biggest thing about the back squat is what am I trying to accomplish now? If you're working with a division one football player, an NFL football player, a power lifter, where they have to do that, well, then I'm going to get them the best back squat possible. I'm going to eliminate those common compensations. I'm going to get their ankles mobile as possible, their hip as mobile as possible, their core as stable as possible, teach them how to do it properly. So that way they have the best chance of seeing great output, but then also squatting safely. But for anybody that is just looking for overall fitness that never needs to be assessed in that exercise, I will not do them. And the reason why is one, they're hard to do with perfect form, not impossible, hard. Number two is what's the risk for reward of the compressive forces of the load going down my spine? You know, again, most people won't have the ability to get into the right position, even with their upper body. But I, you'll see when we do our program design next week, there's countless amazing exercises that I can do that can load that pattern of triple flexor, triple extension without putting those compressive forces. I can use weight vests. I can use dumbbells. I can use kettlebells. I can do a ball squat. I can do so many other, I can do goblet squats. I can do so many other variations, a front squat that is just safer. My job is risk versus reward. What's the maximum benefit I can get somebody with the least amount of risk. So when you look at a back squat, I just, it's hard for me to justify the safety components unless that person has to do it for some type of sport or evaluation. Then of course, I'm gonna dial it in and I'm gonna get them the best back squat they can get. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree because back squats, I mean, again, unless you're working with somebody that is doing it for a sport, and Marty, you said that for a sport, then you're not really necessarily needing to put this kind of pressure on them. Now, granted, if it's a sport, are you the coach? Because again, if they have, let's say a, you have an Olympic lifter and they have a lifting coach that's going to help them you know, in order to execute whatever they need to win the competition, then it's my job as a trainer to make sure that the other muscles can handle the compressive force. So making sure they have a very strong core, making sure they have really good, um, you know, uh, lumbopelvic hip alignment and the glutes are firing appropriately. So I'm going to definitely say, you know, I don't do these very often. I don't say that I never do them because again, there's a time and a place However, mm -hmm. to, to Marty's point, there are so many different um, variations that you can do that will decrease the amount of compression for sure. Plus, if you don't have really good internal rotation, 
or, or you've got too much internal rotation because people have rounded shoulders and then you're trying to grab the bar. Just think of what's happening at just even the rotator cuff in order to hold the bar into position if you don't have good alignment in the in the shoulders. And then, of course, what can happen to the neck because of that as well. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we'll move, move on to the next one, Wendy. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. Perfect. Okay, banded squats. Now, banded squats, now I, I use the bands very often when I'm doing lateral tube walks, when I'm trying to get the glute medius to fire and I'm doing sideline raises or clams or whatever it is. So I do love bands. However, what Marty and I have both seen very, very often at a gym, if somebody is going to use a band, especially with the virtual training, because bands are easily in people's homes, is that they won't maintain proper alignment. And oftentimes, because they have a band, they feel like they have to take their knees and push them out, which will take them out of the five kinetic chain checkpoints. If somebody can keep their feet straight, if they have a band around and you're going into a squat and you're working your hip abductors as well as the quads and the glutes, I think they're fantastic. However, if you notice that your feet are turning out, the knees are going too far out and you've got an arch in your lower back, you can actually be putting more stress on your piriformis. It can lock down your sacrum and then you can end up with people that are starting to have sciatic pain because of the compression of just the piriformis muscle alone. So, so not saying don't do them, just be very cautious in someone's form and make sure if they're going to execute this and it is truly a squat that you maintain proper alignment. Absolutely. I, and again, I'm in the gym every day and I just, you know, bands have become popular for a lot of people. And I would, I'm going to say that I don't see anybody executing it properly. They're just going as far as they can, as fast as they can. And I know they feel it, but they don't understand how they're training their body now to move improperly. And, you know, uh, I'm not going to say anything because I'm there just to work out, but I do notice it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard as a trainer and I'm sure some of you guys can agree. You go to a gym and you're like, Oh, but you know oh. what? They didn't hire you. It's not your place. But uh, I have stopped one person one time because I'm like, they're going to actually blow out their back. So anyway, okay. So moving on to the next one um, we wanted to, to be able to cover is the Zercher squat. So Marty, you want to talk about this one? Yeah. So I really, I haven't even truly checked into the history of it. Uh, I just know that it's it's becoming more popular again as we get you know people trying to create different variations. Right at the very bottom, you saw front squats may be safer. So when you look at the Zercher squat, you're going to see a lot of common compensations because I think personally the load is so heavy on the arms because we got to look at are we trying to attack the glutes, which is going to be one of your strongest muscles in your body. But why are you using your biceps, in a sense, as the limiting factor for how much weight you can do? So right off the bat, to me, I'm going to have to have some compensations because people are going to want to work out to make sure they feel in their legs. So they're going to load up the bar, and then now they're going to cross, and I'm already in an internal internally rotated position. What about if the bar slips out of my arms? You can see that it's very common for the person to have their head up as they're trying to lift it with their full body. So I'm like, what is the goal? If the goal is to do a different variation than the back squat, let's do a front squat where you have a more stable platform to hold the bar. Now, I personally, I'm not a big fan even of the bar front squats unless I have to go really heavy with somebody. I like more of the kettlebells and the dumbbells that it just is, is safer. 
and more comfortable for people that don't have these massive shoulders. So, you know, I think the Zercher squat probably looks cool, but I just think that there's so many limiting factors behind the load that people are going to use that, um, you know, I just find it, it's almost impossible, not totally impossible, but very hard for me to see people do it with ideal form. And then again, even if they have the ideal form, the weakest link would be how much weight they can hold, not how much weight they can move from the squat position. Yes, I'll have to uh, agree with that. Um, again, you know, I, I do front squats with some of my clients. And of course, there's different variations. There's, of course, different bars that you can use too, where, you know, you've got the collar and they're holding on and they're doing it that way. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the hex bar if I'm going to do squats too, because again, I'm just taking the load off of the spine. So we're just showing some variations and just want to get you guys to think if you're going to do this, you know, and it's it's a client that's starting out and the and the load isn't very heavy, then then maybe it's just something different and something fun. However, yeah. you know, if you're gonna load it really heavy, then oftentimes the bar is gonna throw them forward. So therefore they're gonna start to lean too far forward, use their lower back instead of their glutes, and it's not really focusing on the prime movers. So so great points, Marty. I <laughs> I, we, we both try. You did good. You did awesome as well. Oh, there you go. I, I like all these compliments today. Okay, moving right. on. <laughs> um, the goblet squat. Now, I will say I do the goblet squats a lot with my clients. Um, I do find them very beneficial. Uh, again, you want to make sure that the five kinetic chain checkpoints are in, in align, alignment. And so, therefore... As you can see in these pictures, unfortunately, people try to go extremely low. And so therefore, they'll go into a posterior pelvic tilt and it's it's harder for them to get out of with proper alignment. You Sometimes if the weight is extremely heavy, they're going to go into internal rotation of their shoulders. And so therefore, you may be working the prime movers in the lower body. However, what are you sacrificing in the upper body? But if you can maintain proper alignment, you've got good positioning of the head and neck and shoulders and you're limiting and making sure you've got good alignment throughout the entire squat, I find these fantastic. And so I don't know if you want to add to that, but just, no, just be careful. I, this, yeah, <laughs> then this is one of the squats that I really like that helps people learn how to squat better. Again, there can be compensations at all times, but that weight in front of you in that nice close position helps you get your shoulders back if you do it right draw the shoulders back and down, but it also helps activate the core, which just makes them a better squatter, ironically. So, right, you know, we get the core activation and now they can keep their body weight back a little bit, which helps load the glutes. So I think this is one of the best ways to start a loaded squat once somebody has done some of the other stabilization type of, uh, you know, stability ball squats, suspension trainer squats, where they are learning that patterning. But this is to me, one of my go-tos for sure. And you have to be careful because oftentimes too, um, if, if they, if somebody has something in front of them, like, like a dumbbell, they're going to often want to spread their feet wider and then go mm -hmm. into more of what we have talked about, like last week about the sumo or plie, you know, plie, if it's a girl and the sumo, if it's a boy, but basically, you know, toes pointed out, um, and feet spread far apart, which is what we definitely don't want to do. So as long as they can maintain proper alignment, it makes sense. And you're working on specific um, mobility as well as activation when you're doing this, I think that they, to your point, they're fantastic. So absolutely. Yeah. All right. So moving on, we're just flying through these right now. Oh, there's a oh lot. here yep. we go. The plie and the sumo. And so, yes, 
this right here, this one is, is really hard for me. And I will say that I do not recommend doing this personally. Again, this has nothing to do with NASM. However, if you spread your feet wide, you turn your toes out and you are grabbing, let's say a weight, and it doesn't have to be a barbell, but let's say you grab a dumbbell and you're holding that dumbbell and you're going down to where the dumbbell almost hits the floor and then you come back up and you're doing that. And then the next day, your adductors feel like they're on fire. Guys, it is not an adductor exercise. And the thing is, is first of all, if you want to train your adductors, you've got to think of what the adductors do. They adduct the leg, meaning they bring it closer to the other one and they internally rotate it as well. And so what you've done is you have abducted and externally rotated and then loaded that and then did more of a ballistic movement. And so what that's doing is stretching your adductors. You're putting more compression into the piriformis, which is a very small external rotator where your sciatic nerve goes either through it or beside it that can cause compression onto that nerve and can also, again, lock down the uh, your sacrum. And because of the attachment of the adductor magnus on the pubis, it's really, really uh, not beneficial to get the prime movers of the quad and the glutes to fire specifically. So, so unless you're training someone for a sport, now in Olympic lifting, you are going to have your client bring out their feet wide, turn out their toes because you're taking out range of motion um, or limitations from the ankle. And you're also decreasing the amount of height someone has to be able to squat by doing that. That's for a sport. However, if you're training for life and you're training for ideal mechanics and movement, then bring in that stance, keep their toes pointed straight ahead and decrease the amount of stress and muscles that are primarily overactive in individuals and just focus on the prime movers of, of the quad, the calves, as well as the glutes. Sorry, that yep, was my totally. rant for the day. <laughs> no, no, I, I totally agree. Just there, there's so much force going through that whole lumbopelvic hip complex. Again, we're, we're looking to get people to be able to squat for life. So having so many different variations that are safe, you know, again, just getting people to understand that. And again, when you look at getting the right muscles to fire, we could argue you're going to get better results too. So it's not about how much weight you move. It's how well you move the weight, unless it's a sport. Then we allow that differentiation between the five kinetic chain checkpoints because it's a total different outcome. But the majority of people we all train are going to be lifelong fitness enthusiasts that want to train aggressively to some point, whatever that is to them. But let's just get them to move well. That's the key thing. Yes. And we had um, a question from Melissa. And, uh, and I chuckle because she asked, what are the benefits of doing sumo squats with no weight? And my question back to her would be, actually, I don't know of any because I really think that there's just more compression on muscles that don't need to be compressed. We're not really focusing on the prime movers of a squat. And if you want to work your abductors in a more safe position or your adductors, do it standing using a cable going into either adduction or abduction. It's just oftentimes people associate uh, plies, especially females, with I'm working my adductors and you're not. 
And so I do not do this. I mean, there are some some organizations out there that may think that these are beneficial. However, the only time again, I would actually do this is if I was training for an Olympic, you know, a, a Olympic a lifter, and this was actually what they needed to do. And I want them to win wider basis sport, yeah. less range of motion, heavier load. Okay. However, I'm not really training most of my clients for that. So therefore I just avoid them altogether. So yeah, yes, no, no benefits. The, the one, well, the one thing I can, I can add only out of personal experience, let's say a very modified non-weighted sumo squat is an active stretch for me, for my adductors. Yes. But it's a stretch. So, it's not an exercise at that point. Well, it's, it's in my stretching component. I, I right. am purposely doing it not to the level that you see there, right? But you could classify that I'll get my feet out in a wider position, try to keep them straight. I don't go on external rotation, but I'm doing an active squat to increase the range of motion of my adductors. So that I'm trying to find a little bit of a potential, but definitely not the traditional sumo squat position by any means. So John asked a good question. It's very common for CrossFitters to turn feet out and stand wider for front and overhead squats. What would that, or uh, would that be an exception as well? Um, it would be compensation. The exception would be is that it's CrossFit, and if that's what they need to do, have at it. But mm -hmm. they, it, they're compensating. So whether they do it for their assessment or they do it for their exercise, you're not in your five kinetic chain checkpoints. So you're still going to run the same risks that we've always talked about. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, CrossFit, you know, there's a time and place if that's, that's what you want to do, but just think, what is the, what is the risk versus benefit? What are you trying to achieve? If you're really trying to achieve prime mover activation, then you're putting yourself in a compensation, which would decrease that. Yep. So, um, and there was another question, uh, I think actually, let me move up. I want to go ahead and answer squat. this about the goblet squat. Yes. And the question, Marty, if you want to take this one, it was basically in the goblet squat, is it okay to um, rest the weight against the chest or should it be held in front, but without touching your chest? I would say touch, but not rest. And the reason I say that is I'm using it to activate my core. So I want, I, if I have to rest it, that means it might be too heavy for my arms or it's just too heavy. Again, I'd have to watch the person do it. If there's somebody who's in a strength phase and they want to do it and they're very strong in their hand, in their arms, it could be okay. But I usually have it just off the chest because I want that core activation. And usually that'll help me determine the amount of weight that they need. I find that if they're resting it on their chest, it's usually too heavy for their arms. Yes, which will decrease core activation. <laughs> Bingo. All right. So my rant on the sumos and plies are over and done with. So let's move on. <laughs> oh, so the next geez. rant. Yes. So ball squats. Now, ball squats are something that we have, especially in phase one, very often a common com or a common exercise that we use. And so the thing about ball squats is when they're done correctly, they really do help someone who is working on more range of motion within their ankle complex. And so what you can do is you're working on positioning. And ideally, again, we're trying to get someone into those parallel lines for once again, just to make sure that the weight distribution is equal and we're getting primary activation. The problem is, is when people put a ball too low in their back, oftentimes they're going to want to arch their back into that ball. 
which puts them into an anterior pelvic tilt, which will decrease activation in the glutes and increase compression of the lower back. And so you want to think that the ball should be up more towards um, the shoulder blade or mid back area just to again, try to alleviate the chances of that. Because remember, when you start touching a muscle, you're gonna to wanna to activate it. So now I just put something into that, into the areas where I don't want to be activated. And, and so it's kind of like messing with your mind. So being able to put the ball up a little bit higher, I think is going to help you. And you, know, you wanna think when we say flat back, when people squat, we're just talking about making sure that their torso is straight. When we say flat, we don't mean straight up and down. We mean that it's angled with the shins making those parallel lines. And so one other common compensation that we see when people are doing the ball squats is that they, they want to push back into the ball so they stay in a hip flexed position. And remember what a glute does is supposed to go into hip extension. And so if you're not fully going into hip extension, you're not really fully activating the glutes to their full potential. So you want to come out of it almost like a thrusting position, you know, movement in order to make sure that you're opening up the hips, squeezing the glutes, and then continuing on with the, with the squat. And I think that if you do a weight vest or holding dumbbells, this can be an incredibly challenging exercise for all fitness levels. Yes. And one other question about the goblet squat was, what about coaching clients to keep elbows all the way up and not hit their legs? So I'm going to have to try it. My thinking is I wouldn't want to have any shrug. That would be my instinct. So if they put their elbows out a little bit possibly, but I actually like them to try to kind of squeeze it a little bit because that helps get that shoulder retraction and depressed and get that keep that more of an extension position. I'd have to watch somebody do it. My instinct tells me that they're probably going to flex or elevate the shoulders and get the traps firing. So I'd have to watch it, but be careful of what you see in the upper extremities is mm -hmm. all. And oftentimes if you're going, and I don't know what you mean by up, whether um, if you're going out or up, but either way, you know, a lot of times people will shrug or they'll start to internally rotate more. So just, just be very aware of their alignment. And if somebody can execute it because they have more flexibility, uh, he, I think he's talking about here, maybe. Oh, That's okay. Saying. That would be fine. Almost like a, a front squat. If so you like your this. Whole, yeah. 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 Yep. As long as the five connect chain checkpoints are in order. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and again, everyone's got different flexibility. So, you know, you've got to also think, you know, what can someone's wrist handle depending on how you're having them hold it. So, so again, just make sure that the alignment and all joints are, are good. And if they can execute it, that's yeah. fantastic. So, yep. Beautiful. All right. Did you have anything to add to the ball squats, Marty? I think you nailed it. So we can go on to the next one. <laughs> okay, perfect. You know, it, we could probably bring up every single squat and spend hours talking to you guys about squats. Um, however, the, the main things are looking at your assessment. And then again, what are the key muscles? What are you trying to activate? And as we just talked about the prime movers and the quads, the glutes, as well as the soleus, or just really having really good range of motion as well in the calf complex. So proper setup and movement is gonna be ideal, especially in squats, because squats can go really wrong. And if you don't believe me, YouTube it. You've seen things happen during squats because people are lifting too much, doing things incorrectly, and that's when injuries can occur. And they can be, like injuries that are 
catastrophic. Yes, yes. And so again, that's why the assessments are important and doing a proper warm up to lengthen the overactive muscles, activating the underactive muscles before you start working on these types of movement patterns because ideal range of motion is going to lead to better execution. And so that's what we're hoping for. Remember, always regress when needed. There are so many different regressions that you can do and especially with squats. Do the barbells, I mean a barbell, whoo, do the ball squats maybe over a barbell in the very beginning to work on range of motion. Only go down to the range of motion someone can control before compensation occurs. Think about tempos, think about strengthening the muscles the right way, and then use the variation. Make sure that it makes sense. Really remember using the model. Again, if someone has compensations, focus on slower tempos, try to get proper activation, and and let the body work the way that it's intended to work. And um, before, were there any key takeaways you wanted to add to that? <laughs> Basically everything you said throughout the whole session, I guess. No. No, the, key th <laughs> the key thing is risk versus reward. There's plenty, plenty of options for amazing squat patternings that you can do while fixing people and getting them to move better than they ever thought while getting them the incredible type of workout they want. Challenge yourself to ask, why did I pick this exercise? Does it fall in alignment with what I've been learning? And am I making them better? Or am I allowing some compensation just for the net effect of squatting and burning calories, et cetera? And if you have that filter for all your exercises, I think you'll start to start to see things differently and you'll see how wide open the programming can be because there's so many amazing options for squats or other exercises. And Lisa just asked, how do we feel about the TRX squats? I actually really like them because yeah. again, anything with like a cable, when you have, you know, the TRX or anything suspension wise, where it can allow you a little bit more range of motion in the ankles while you're working on better range of motion throughout some of the, uh, the different joints that allows you to have just a little bit more that maybe you're working towards. And it, as long as it, it's safe, as long as you're not, you know, you're staying within the right range of motion that someone can control, they're executing it correctly. There, again, are so many different variations we could have talked about, <laughs> including the TRX squats. But I, I personally like them. I like them for single yep. leg squats, double leg squats. Um, and again, it's just a different variation. So on a program variability, I think that, you know, the more you switch it up, um, just to bring different components into a workout, the more core demand there's going to be. And it also makes it more fun for the client. Yep, absolutely. And I've had people do weight vests with the TRX squat because it's mm -hmm. just the best way for us to, to attack it. So awesome. Yes. Well, we want to move to our contact information. Yeah. I mean, I th before we do that, just remember, guys, next week, Marty and I are going to really focus on program design and different squat progressions. And so remember to join in and bring your questions because when we're designing programs, again, it's not the end all be all. We just want to give you guys, especially if you're new, some ideas and options to think through. So therefore you can make sure that the squat mechanics and execution are dialed for your clients. Awesome. Looking right. forward to it. There you go. Well, if you go to the next slide and you guys want to contact me directly, please feel free to email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org. And you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then my email information is there, marty.miller at nasm.org. Instagram, dr.martymiller72. And then finally, you'll see me on my Coffee Talks on Tuesday where we can answer more questions. And Wendy and Ken Miller do an amazing podcast called Random Fit. So you can check that out. 
any place you'd find your podcast. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Wendy, look forward to seeing you next week and uh, getting into part three. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. 